Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Amen. So we are in a series talking about the names of God. And I think there's not a better way to get to know who this God of ours is is by studying his names. And how many of you know God has more than one name? Like when you hear somebody say, you know, don't use my God's name in vain, you might want to ask the question, well, which name are you talking about? Because there's lots of them. There are lots of names for God. Uh, now, years ago, I used to actually work when we early when we started this church back uh, nine years ago. We've been around for nine years now. I was working also at Mott Workforce Education Center in downtown Flint. So I got hired in there to help kind of do some recruitment for some of their programs. And then I got involved in their onboarding process as they do a lot of training for like medical assistants and dental assistants and, and different programs that they work with the state in providing for uh, especially those with at-risk communities. And uh, part of the onboarding process is we took all the potential students in through a job interview and so that was a lot of fun for me because I'm used to being on the other side of the job interview where you you know you're sweating to death you're like oh what did they think I, and you're waiting for that phone call but now I get to be on the the employer side and so uh, I got to do these uh, interviews and it was a lot of fun because you got to start to see some of the psychology behind what employers implement when they're looking for potential candidates. And uh, through that experience, they actually hired me on to teach their soft skills class, which taught people how to be good employees. Believe it or not, in this culture, you actually have to teach people that to show up on time is a good thing. I don't know if you knew that. Like, it's actually a good thing to be there when you say you're going to be there. And, and employers look for that. So we, we went through a lot of those things. We even talked about interview skills and how to interview. And I will tell you, probably the singular most important factor in any interview when you're interviewing for a job is eye contact. It's eye contact. When somebody's not making eye contact with you, it's giving you an indication that they're not very confident or they're not being very honest with you. And the thing is, is that if you're not confident in your answers, how can the employer that's looking to hire you, be confident in your answers? How can he be confident in you? And so often we would take them through ways to have eye contact, ways to have answers that ex exuded confidence. And I look at not just the interview process, but in just basic communication, eye contact is huge. Matter of fact, all of you not looking at me, you're telling me you're boring me. I'm not going to call anybody out, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But eye contact is huge. Why is eye, eye contact so important in communication? I really believe it's that deep down we all just want to be seen. We just want to be seen. When you're talking to me or I'm talking to you, if I'm making eye contact with you, what am I showing you? I'm showing you I'm interested. I'm engaged. I see you. I'm, I'm connecting with you. When you feel unseen, you feel isolated. When you feel unseen, you can feel discarded, and rejected but if the world's crashing down around you everything in your life is is falling apart and you feel seen it's easy to keep getting up and keep moving forward when you don't feel seen it's easy to do the opposite it's easy to be overcome in hopelessness 
But when a person feels seen, they can be secure even when everything around them is falling apart. In the book of Genesis, we're going to look at a story of a young woman. Her name is Hagar, and Hagar had a really difficult life. Now, she was probably in her teenage years. She was probably young, and she was a slave in the nation of Egypt. Now, in the ancient cultures, you were a slave for really kind of one or two ways. Either your family was born into slavery or your parents fell into debt. And in order to satisfy the debt, the government took your children from you, put them into slavery to help repay your debt. So either way, she's not in a good situation. And as she's in this predicament in the nation of Egypt, the Pharaoh of Egypt has this interaction with Abraham and Sarah. He, he's the father of the Israelite people. He's kind of the father Abraham who had many sons if you were in, in Sunday school years ago. He's a kind of a big deal in the Christian world and, and in the uh, religious world. But Pharaoh decides to bless Abraham with slaves and Hagar is one of these slaves. Matter of fact, she becomes the handmaiden to Abraham's wife. So think about this. You're not only not free in your own nation, but now you've been given over to a foreign entity a foreign family who then leaves your nation of origin to some strange land you've never been and you have no choice you actually have no choice so you are now in their care and in this ancient time slaves weren't valued like free men and women they didn't have the same rights they didn't have the same rules you could treat slaves differently than you would be expected to treat free people but the chances that this young girl was preyed upon from a very early age is very likely. She's been taken advantage of her entire life. So now she's living with a foreigner to be a slave, taken from her ancestral home and living under new masters. So not as she only used to being overlooked by her own countrymen and her own people, but now she's being overlooked by her foreign masters, destined to tend to their needs at the forsake of her own, either until she's sold again or she dies. And one day, her circumstances change. They don't get better, but they change because her mistress, Sarai, Abraham's wife, she decides that she's done waiting for God's promises, that God promised to give her a child. She's done waiting. So she decides, I'm going to take my handmaid, my slave, and I'm going to force her to marry my husband that I might have a child through her and then I'll claim that baby for my own. So think about Hagar's position. You're not free. You've been plucked from your home. You're in a foreign place. Now you're being forced to being intimate with someone only to have a child that's going to be taken from you and claimed as somebody else's child. Can you imagine what Hagar's going through? So now she has to be intimate against her own will. How do you think Hagar is feeling? Seen or unseen? Unseen. Well, we're going to begin reading in Genesis chapter 16. This is where we're at in the story. As she's being handed over by Sarai to Abraham. Genesis 16 beginning in verse 3. It says, So Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian servant and gave her to Abraham as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abraham had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abraham had sexual relations with Hagar. She became pregnant. And when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Now, this is important to understand because here you have this slave 
that's been mistreated her whole life. She's not been validated her whole life. And now she's been given as a wife to the guy in charge. And now she's pregnant. And in this culture, to be pregnant, to have children, was to be blessed by the gods or to be blessed by God. Otherwise, to not be pregnant was not only to be broken, but is to be cursed by God. So you can imagine here in this moment, she's finally in this place. She seems to be getting some kind of validation, which seems to be rising her up over even her mistress. You can imagine that resentment and everything that's been boiling inside beginning to come to the surface. And she begins to let it show. But she begins to take a step a little too far. Even though she might have a shot in this situation of becoming not just free, but becoming maybe the, the head of the household next to this man, Abraham, Sarai has a different thing in mind. In verse 5, it says, Then Sarai say to, said to Abraham, This is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now she's pregnant and she treats me with contempt. I just want to pause right there for a minute. And I'm going to go to bat for every man that's ever lived. It was your idea, Sarah. You brought her to the man. Like, I get it. Abraham made the wrong choice. Like, you, you don't do that. Like, there's never in any time in the history of the world would it ever be okay, no matter whose idea it was, for you to pick up another lady when you're married to somebody, right? There's never, never, never a good idea. But Sarah, it was your idea. You told him to do it. You wanted him to do it. And it's his fault? Come on now. Cut the brother some slack. That's entrapment, if I ever heard it. But she says, the Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. And then Abraham replied, as any guy in this situation would do, whatever you want, babe, whatever you want to do, you do it. I just want you to be happy with me, you do it. Look, she's your servant. Deal with her as you see fit. Right? He's like, whatever I got to do to get out of this situation, I'm going to do it, whatever you want to do, my love, my dear. And so what does she do? Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly, she finally ran away. See, that word harshly implies in the original language to be made low, to be afflicted, to be made poor and weak, and to be humiliated. So probably she wasn't feeding her like she was supposed to, providing basic needs like she was supposed to. Every word was probably a snarky comment. There might have been some physical abuse. Either way, there comes a point in everybody's life where you've just had enough of the stuff. There's only so much a person can take. But now, Hagar is not just worried about herself. She has a baby. So what does she think to do? She thinks what I think anyone would do. She takes off. She's like, I'm done with this. I'm out. I'm not dealing with this anymore. In this moment, how do you think Hagar's feeling? Seen or unseen? Unseen. Hopeless. Overwhelmed by cruelty and discouragement. Now, here's where things kind of turn around for her. As she's running away from this situation, trying to start over, trying to figure things out on her own, verse 7, it says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. 
And the angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? Don't you love it when God shows up and he asks questions you already know he knows the answers to? He knows everything, right? Scripture says he knows what we, we're going to say before we say it. He knows what we're thinking even before we realize what we're thinking. He knows everything. So why is he asking a question? It's not because he's interested in the answer. It's because he's leading the heart. And he is pursuing her heart. Well, she responds to the angel of the Lord. And, and I love how like this is like a common thing. Right? There, there's no like moment where Hagar freaks out and passes out because she's seeing the angel of God. It's just like, yeah, we're just talking to God today. You know, I, I love that. Here's what Sarai says. I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, or Hagar says. She replied. But then the angel of the Lord said to her, look what he says. Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Uh, what? You feeling it? Like, are, can you put yourself there in this moment? God, do you know what I've been putting up with? You know what I've been dealing, you know what I've been through? You realize what I'm trying to escape, what I'm trying to avoid? All this junk, do you realize what they do to me every day of my life? And you want me to do what? You want me to go back? How many of you have felt like God's asked you to do something or stay in something that every fiber of your being just wanted to flee? How many? We've all been there. Maybe you're in it right now. But this is where promises of God like Jeremiah 29, 11 and Romans 8, 28 matter. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And Romans 8, 28 is... He works all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. God knows the plans he has for you and therefore you're good. Not disaster, not to destroy you, but to build you up. And I just feel like what God is saying to her, what God is kind of trying to lead her heart into is to tell her, look, I know you can't see it right now. I know everything in you wants to go the other direction but I am working these painful things in your life for something good that you cannot comprehend. There's something on the horizon, something that we're working towards, that if you just hang in there, then you're going to make it. You're going to see what I've been up to. Verse 10, he gives her a promise. He says, go back and submit, and I will give you more descendants than you can count. In the mind of an ancient person, children equal blessing. God is saying, if you go back and you submit, you hang in there, you don't quit, you're going to be blessed beyond your wildest dreams. You're going to have more good in your life than you could ever accomplish on your own. Obey me in this, and I will bless you beyond your imagination. How many of you know God can do infinitely and exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think? He can, and he does it all the time. So verse 11, it says, Then the angel said, you're now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You're to name him Ishmael, which means God hears, or God will hear, or is listening. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He'll raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he'll live in open hostility against all his relatives. I'm going to bless you. This guy is going to be intense but he's going to be richly blessed. Verse 13, thereafter, Hagar used another name for the Lord. 
to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. Remember, up until this point, we saw last week, until this point, the only way God had really revealed himself is with the name El Shaddai, God Almighty. They knew that God existed. They knew God had a name, but he revealed himself to people as the Almighty God, the creator of the universe. And here we see a new name. She names the Lord El Roy. El Roy. And she explains what this means. She said, you are the God who what? Who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? Verse 14, so the well, she's at a well. The well there was named Ber Lahairoi, which means the well of the living one who sees me. And it can still be found between Kadesh and Barid. So she's moved by this encounter to name God. It's now a personal name that she has for God. El Roy, the God who sees me. And she's so moved that she names that place. She, she makes it significant for all time. This well where I had this encounter, it's now going to be named after El Roy, the God who sees me, the living one who sees me. Before this moment in her life, she felt unseen and she was running away from her struggles. Now she's going to run to him. And she goes back. Because why? She's seen, not just by people, but by Almighty God. Almighty God. She has strength to face her fears. She has courage to fight her battles because she knows who it is who sees her. And that word, sees, really carries with it a few meanings. And I just want to break it down to you. If you're taking notes, there's just three things that I want to kind of show you this name El Roy means to us. If you're also in the YouVersion Bible app, the notes will be there for you. But number one, El Roy, the God who sees, means you are the God who pays attention. You are the God who pays attention. How many times have you felt in your life that God's just not paying attention to you? I think we all have through different circumstances. Like we pray and we pray and we pray and nothing. It's like hitting the ceiling and just vanishing away. But El Roy means you are the God who pays attention. Psalm 121 verse 4 says, Indeed, he who watches over Israel never sleeps or slumbers. Proverbs 15.3 says, The Lord is watching everywhere, keeping his eye on both the evil and the good. Beloved, you will never catch God nodding off. You'll never catch him nodding off. Now, full confession, I believe I'm in the best shape of my life. Out of the 41 years I've been alive, I'm probably in the best shape of my life. I kind of feel like I'm 20 years old. But what reminds me that I'm not 20 years old is the fact that when it comes to about 10 o'clock at night, I fall asleep without fail. Something comes over me, and my face changes And I know it because my kids and my wife start looking at me weird. Like, what's wrong with your face? I was like, this is my face. I was born this way. Something's wrong with your face. It looks like I smoked the biggest doobie in the world. I'm just like, (laughs) what are you talking about? I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, my eyes get all sticky, get dried out. Uh, And if I sit down to watch a show or something with my wife, and she's like, you're going to fall asleep. I'm like, no, I'm not. I promise. I'm going to stay awake. And within seconds, I'm just like snoring right there on the couch. I can't help it. Even if I have a cup of coffee or an energy drink, that might keep the symptoms away for a minute. But without fail, regardless, I'm going to fall asleep. And and when it gets real, when I'm real tired, I'll fall asleep mid-conversation. I'll be talking, and I'll just be like, yeah, go ahead. You know, I just kind of fall asleep. Or I've even fallen asleep praying out loud. 
Like, my wife and I were praying about stuff, and I'm praying, oh, Lord God, and I'm just going after it, you know, we're, we're interceding, and I'm just like, I just nod out, and then I come back and, like, jerk up, and she's like, did you just fall asleep? And I was like, I did, and she's like, oh, my gosh, you need help. So I did get a sleep study this week, so I'm working with the doctors to try to figure out what's wrong with me, because I am jacked up, but we'll, we'll get that figured out. But here's the deal. I might fall asleep. You might fall asleep, but God will never fall asleep. He will never sleep. He will never slumber. He is always watching. He is always observing. God is always paying attention. Number two, El Roy means you are the God who's involved in my circumstances. How many of you have felt like God's nowhere to be found? We all have. There are times where we're struggling through stuff, even in the midst of circumstances. We feel like God's nowhere around, but God is always involved. Second Chronicles 16, 9 says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to what? To strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God's not just watching you squirm, not watching you struggle. He's watching for how he can strengthen you in the midst of your circumstances. Jesus told Paul, it's in your weakness my strength has made perfect. So God's not just watching you wallow. He's there to strengthen you. 1 Peter 3.12 says, The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. His ears are open to their prayers, but the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Beloved, you don't have to convince God to get involved. Why? Because he's already involved with you. He's already working. He's anticipating your prayers and he's working to strengthen you when you're feeling weak. I love the song that we just sang, the song Pieces, about the love of God. He's not tuning you out. He's tuning into you as the God who sees. He's always involved. Number three, he is Elroy. He's the God who cares. He's the God who cares. Psalm 56 verse 8 says, now think about this. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. And you've recorded each one in your book. Do you know your feelings matter to God? Your heart matters. El Roy is watching and he's keeping a record in heaven. God is journaling your journey. He's journaling every aspect of your life, and he keeps the greatest detail right down to each and every tear that you cry. I don't know who does that. You'll never meet a person on earth that will do that for you, but God's doing it. This is Elroy. He's the God who's paying attention He's the God who's involved, and he's the God who cares. But our story with Hagar doesn't end here. Why? Because she goes back, but not to a better situation. She goes back to a not-so-good situation. Things don't get better for her. They get worse, especially after Sarai has her own baby. God fulfills his promises to Abraham and Sarai, and Sarai becomes pregnant. And when she becomes pregnant, she has her own son. She gets another idea in her mind, and this time it's to kick Hagar and her son Ishmael out of the house. She wants Abraham to abandon his family. Genesis 21, 11 through 20, it says, 
This upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. Abraham didn't want to do it. And I'm convinced the only reason why he goes through with it is because of what happens in the next verse. God comes to Abraham in verse 12 and says, God tells Abraham, don't be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you. For Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted, but I will also make a nation of the descendants of Hagar's son because he is your son too. I'm convinced that if God didn't say, I'm going to take care of him just as much as I take care of you, I don't think he would have done it. I think this is the only reason why Abraham parts with his son. But in verse 14, Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared food in a container of water. He strapped them onto Hagar's shoulders, and then he sent her away with her son, and she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. So now, she's rejected all over again. She's discarded all over again. How do you think she's feeling? Seeing? Or unseen. You see, we get it in our minds that because we believe in God, we should not have any problems. Anybody in here have a life free of problems? No. Right? This world's broken. It's jacked up. That's why Jesus is coming back to fix the thing, right? He's coming back. So we all have problems. And here she is finding herself rejected all over again. In verse 15, it said, When the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a bush. Then she went and sat down by herself a hundred yards away. I don't want to watch the boy die, she said, and she burst into tears. But God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven, Hagar, what's wrong? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the boy crying as he lies here. Go to him and comfort him, for I'll make him a great nation from his descendants. Then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up in the wilderness, and he became a skillful hunter. What's interesting here to me is that in the first encounter Hagar has before her son's even born, it says God heard Hagar's cries. And he was to, she was to name her son Ishmael as God who hears or God who's listening. When God heard Hagar's cries she realized that his eyes were open to her need. That his eyes were open to her. And so she named that well. Do you remember that she was at a well? Remember what she named it? She named it El Roy, after the God who sees. This is the well of the living God, El Roy. But this time around, God doesn't hear Hagar's cries. Whose cries does he hear? Ishmael's. And then he had to open somebody else's eyes. Whose eyes did he have to open? Hagar's. Why did God have to open Hagar's eyes? You see, many of us, we have life-changing encounters with God. I think we can all look back into our lives and think of a moment where God just showed up and it was amazing. And we were just filled with so much faith and so much joy and we wanted to tell everybody about it. We were just so on fire and it was easy to read the Bible back then. And it was easy to pray back then. We never missed a church service back then. But what does time have a tendency to do? It has a tendency to rob us of the feeling of those moments, the impact of those moments. And when we're robbed of the impact of those moments, we can forget God's promises. And we can be overcome in discouragement. And what does discouragement do but blind us? So literally, think about what's going on right here, right now. God had already said, 
I'm going to bless your son back then. But here, she literally drops her son off at a bush, walks about a football field's distance away because she doesn't want to watch her son die. Is she holding on to a promise in that moment? No. She's forgotten. If God heard the boy's cries, then that means in Hagar there was no prayer, no holding on to God's promises because she had given up. Discouragement was blinding her, robbing her of the memory of God's promises. Again, God had promised to bless Ishmael, but she had all but forgotten. Or she couldn't bring herself to believe it because she was so discouraged. But Elroy shows up and he opens her eyes. And opens her eyes to see what she already needed. That she, what she needed was already there. And I just believe that God's goodness, God's strength, his provision, it was there the whole time. If you read the story, it doesn't say God miraculously brought a well out of the ground. And we have other accounts where that's happened. God sent manna from heaven. God sent quail for the children of Israel. You see all the times where God made this stuff happen. But no, what did God do? He opened her eyes so that she could see the well. And I believe some of you are in that place of discouragement in your life, whatever you're going on, and you've got blinders on your eyes. You've got the blinders of discouragement, and it's blinded you to the blessings that are actually already there. The thing that you're praying for, the thing that you're crying out for, the thing that you need is already there. You just can't see it because of the discouragement. So her eyes had to be open. Hagar already knew God's eyes were open to her. Now her eyes needed to be open to him. She needed to see that God was always paying attention. He's always involved and he always cares. And Elroy wants her to stop paying attention so much on her circumstances and now to open her eyes and start paying attention to him. I see you. Now you need to see me. And the reason why is because I believe in order to realize God's promises, we need to see and experience and see and experience his blessings. We need to keep our eyes fixed on him. Hebrews 12, 1 through 4 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down and every sin that trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by what? By keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher or perfecter of our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you've not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. If we look at Christ's example, Christ, he knew the joy that was awaiting him. He was going to be reunited with the Father. So his joy of that, reuni re that unity in heaven enabled him to get through all the difficult circumstances he was going to endure and that and gave him the strength to be faithful and stay in it until God saw him through. And I just believe that's the same thing we're being called to today, that when we're in the midst of a difficulty, don't look down at your circumstances, but look up at Jesus. Focus on his promises. When Peter was walking on the water, he sank. Why? Because his eyes left Jesus and went to the waves and the wind. When David sinned, it's because his eyes were off the Lord and they went on to the naked Bathsheba showering on the rooftop. Hagar's faith was derailed when she focused on her circumstances and forgot God's promises. And I just believe this is a word for someone here today. You know God's eyes are open to you. 
You know that he sees you, but your perception is determined by what you're focusing on. And if you focus on the battle that you're facing or the battles in your life, you're only going to see warfare. If you only focus on your spouse's shortcomings, you're never going to see their potential. If you only focus on what frustrates you at work, you'll never see the opportunities God has before you. If you only focus on what's wrong in the world, you'll never love people enough to get out there and do something about it. If you only focus on the problem, you're going to drown in discouragement. And you're going to miss the blessings God already has put in front of you. I don't know about you, but I thought that was good. That speaks to me. Isn't it amazing, again, that the Bible never says God made the well appear. He had to open her eyes to see it. Maybe the answer to your problems, the blessing that you need, is actually right before you. But you just need to take your eye off the joy killer and put it on the joy filler. Psalm 121. And we're going to close and invite our worship team up as we go into a time of response. Psalm 121 says, I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? No. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, I just, I thank you for your mercy and your grace. I thank you, God, that you are the God who sees that that you are always involved. You are always in attention to us, God. You're always working in the midst of our circumstances. Even if we can't feel it, even if we can't see it, God, you are always there. You are the God who sees. El Roy. And I just pray, God, that I pray against every spirit of discouragement that is eating the lunch of your people that is blinding our eyes to the goodness that's around, to what you've already provided, to what you're already doing. And I just ask you, God, for freedom and deliverance today. God, I know that you hear our prayers. You know what we're going to pray even before we pray it. God, I just, I just pray that the faith that you will fulfill every promise would rise up in our hearts today. And God, today we would surrender again and that we would trust again in everything you've declared over our lives. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. Some of you, I just believe, and leading up to today, I just have felt that you just need to get on your face before the Lord. Just ask his forgiveness for giving your circumstances more credibility than you've given him. And just confess his name over your life today. You are El Roy. You are the God who sees me. You are the God who's paying attention. You are the God who is involved. You are the God who cares for me. Lord, open my eyes to you today. Help me believe every word you've spoken, every promise you've given. Help me hold on to the hope that everything that you said you will do will come to pass in your timing. God, help me quit trying to control my circumstances. God, give me eyes to see the blessings and the opportunity you've put right in front of me. And I ask you this in the name of Jesus 
my Lord and Savior. God, help me keep my eyes fixed on you. If you're here today and you're just battling discouragement and you need help praying that prayer, you would like a brother and sister in Christ to pray with you. We're a firm believer in prayer. The Bible says that the the fervent prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. We believe in when the church prays together, God sends his angels to do their tasks and miracles happen. If you need a miracle in your life, you need a breakthrough in your life, even just a breakthrough in the discouragement that's been blinding you to the goodness of God, in just a minute when we stand, I'm going to encourage you to come forward and our prayer team will be down here to pray with you. And we're just going to lift you up together. If you're here and you're feeling unseen, you're feeling unseen, the Lord's word to you today would be to quit looking down and look up to Jesus, who before the world began saw you, loved you, and chose to come into this world to lay down his life for you. Romans 5.8 says, God has showed us his great love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God saw your greatest need and how did he meet it? He sent Jesus to pay for your sins. And I'm a firm believer that the first step into walking into a new identity with Christ is to give him lordship over your life. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today you can do that with just a simple prayer and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for sending him to pay for my sins on the cross. And thank you for raising him from the dead. I give you my life. I give you my heart. Now and forever. In Jesus' name. The word of God says if you confess him as Lord and believe in your heart, God's raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And I'm a firm believer that if you prayed that today for the very first time and you trust in his word, you trust in that, that the spirit of God is now making his home in your heart. And I believe that you feel differently. I believe that you, that you know even now that there are things that are beginning to break off your life and we just thank God for that and I just encourage you when the service is over, I'll be in the meeting place. You come share that with me. We want to rejoice with you. But for the next few moments, if you feel unseen and you are struggling with discouragement, when Tony begins to sing and begins to lead, I just want you to stand to your feet and come to the front. Our prayer team will be down here to pray with you and we're just going to pray with those that need a touch from the Lord today. God, you know every heart, you see every need. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to draw them now. In Jesus' name. From all of us at Vertical Life Church, we want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you and God bless.